Good morning, everyone. Wow, what a week. It's been fantastic. And uh, Brenda and I would just like to thank you for all coming and making um, a, a special week for us. Thank you. Thank the committee for all the, the hard work you do for the invitation. And uh, thank you for those who shared your food with us this week. It was fantastic. And, uh, of course, we thank the Lord. Thank, uh, it's always a joy to be with Brother Scott, see Scott and Lynn, fellow ex-Kansans. So um, it's just been a, a great week. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if the Lord is uh, maybe steering me to a new ministry. Um, I don't know if it's my green hiking pants or what's up with it, but I've had six people flag me down this week and ask for directions or information about the park. And I don't know, maybe this is something, a ministry the Lord's leading me in. You, you guys may come back uh, next uh, summer for the conference and I might be working here. I don't know. <laughs> it's been very strange in that respect. All right, so I'm going to be wrapping up the uh, book of Joshua. And uh, I've entitled the message four threes, and we're going to start in the book of Hebrews, so please turn there, kind of a summary for what we've been covering this week, and uh, Hebrews chapter 4, the writer is talking about this superior rest that we have in Christ, and um, there's three rests that are mentioned in this chapter. If I had time, I'd love to expound verses uh, 1 through 7. We don't have that time, so I'm going to just kind of um, encapsulate the summary of the writer. In verse 8, he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. In other words, the Cana rest that they entered into by faith wasn't the final rest. There was warring in Cana. And so in verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Amen? This is um, sabbatismos. It's the only time we find this Greek word anywhere in the New Testament, and it speaks of heaven. That's our final eternal rest uh, in heaven with the Lord. The Cana rest that Joshua led the people into was not the final rest. Then he says, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, there seems to be two thoughts uh, in this. Um, Bill McDonald does a great job in his commentary expounding both thoughts. The first is, in the first part of the chapter, of chapter 4, he talks about uh, following God's example. God labored six days, he created all that was created, and then he rested. And so, for example, in Romans 4, Uh, Paul talks about, um, in order to have peace with God, um, that initial act of salvation, that we have to cease from working. You can't work your way to heaven. You just have to have rest in the Lord alone for salvation. So there's that initial rest, that peace with God that we get through the cross of Christ when we cease working for salvation and we just enter into the rest of salvation in Christ. And then there's a second part um, where he uses God as an example. God labored for six days, and then he came into his rest. And so right now, we are in the the Cana rest, or we should be, as we go on laying hold of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places, 
and we go on in faith with the Lord. We're, we're willing to engage in conquest. Uh, we're willing to lay hold of our spiritual possessions, our inheritance in Christ. We enter deeper and deeper into his rest. In other words, there's a time to work. And then there's going to be a time to rest. And so there's the eternal rest. And so then the writer exhorts us, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Speaking of the original Israelites as they uh, did, want, did not want to go on with God entering Cana and their carcasses fell in the wilderness. So in the initial act of salvation, we have peace with God, we enter his rest. But as we go on with the Lord um, in obedience, in this Cana rest, uh, there we find the peace of God. And then there's a coming day when we're going to bask in the eternal bliss of God and his eternal rest. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so those, those are the three rests. Again, four threes. Now back to the book of Josh, Joshua, and we're going to pick up at chapter 17. And I want to thank with you, um, as Joshua is dividing out the land uh, to the different tribes, the nine and a half tribes, he's, um, we find that there was different responses uh, by the people to their allotments, to the, the possessions that God have for them. And so I want to think with you about three wrong attitudes that the people of God can have towards their possessions that God is giving them or wants them to have. And so in chapter 17, we see that um, the children of Manasseh are, actually it's the children of Joseph, which would be half-tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. The children of Joseph, verse 14, spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot, one share to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a, a place for yourselves. There in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. <coughs> Excuse me. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And that's your point. This is a, the wrong attitude. It's not enough for us. And all of Canaanite and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have uh, chariots of iron, both those who are at Beth Sheen and its towns, and those who are the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim, Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Also it is wooded. You shall cut it down, and the farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, and though they have iron chariots and are strong. So the half-tribe of Manasseh and uh, the tribe of Ephraim, they told Joshua, hey, we don't, we don't like our possession. By the way, their possession was 55 by 70 miles, right in the heart of Canaan. It was huge. And so they really didn't have an argument according to the population, the numbering of the people, and the boundaries. They got a very fair allotment. But they're looking at 
of this hill country that's forested, and I think, wow, it's going to take a lot of work to clear this out. And then they have the, the people there, the Canaanites, and they have chariots of iron. How are we going to stand against them? How are we going to accomplish this work uh, with such an opposition? And so they were defeated in their mind before they ever got started. And this often happens to the people of God. Several years ago, I was reading a documentary on how they train circus elephants. It's very interesting. What they do is they take a, a, a wee elephant um, and they tie a chain to his leg and they put the other end and secure it to a tree, usually a stump or a tree. And so as that little guy, he tries to get away, you know, it goes taunt and he can't move. And so he, he goes back and, and he'll go this way and he, he tries to get away. And when the chain goes taunt, he's, he's caught. And so as that elephant grows up, he learns that he can never escape the bondage of what he's in. And so then they show pictures of these huge elephants weighing several tons at circuses, and they had this little rope around their leg, and it was just tapped into a stake in the ground, like maybe a foot in the ground. And here's the big elephant, and now, as soon as he feels that little rope get taunt against the state, he just stops. He says, I can never be free. Actually, he's got the power. He could be free. And so, uh, sometimes we get defeated in our mind. We, the Lord is very gracious to us. He gives us everything that we need to serve him. He's a sovereign God, so we have to trust him in this. And so, whatever portion he has for you, dear believer, it's enough. And we, we better not have wrong attitudes for it. Get defeated in our mind before we even get started. Um, I didn't grow up in a New Testament assembly. I, I came to Christ at the age of almost 12. Uh, my folks were in a liberal denominational church, and I didn't meet the so-called brethren until I was 21. And uh, they got my nose in the Word, and it's been Katie bar the door since then. And um, I'm very thankful for that challenge to get into Scripture. And as I look back, and I've, I read how the, the movement began back in the 1830s, we have a great heritage. Um, and sometimes I think we want to live on past accomplishments of others instead of having our own stories. And um, God is quite capable of making a great revival in our day. And... Uh, if his people will accept freely what he has for them and just say, you're a sovereign God, you know what I need, uh, there's nothing too hard for you. I'm not going to let past failures inhibit me from serving you. Uh, I'm not going to let the, the uh, bondage in my own mind keep me from serving you. I don't care if there's iron chariots. I don't care if there's trees. Whatever you have for me, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's that's the right attitude that we need to have about our spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Uh, God is, he's not stingy at all, right? I mean, he, he wants to give us. Uh, I just love that verse, I am what I am by the grace of God. Oh, all of us could just say hallelujah to that, right? I am what I am by the grace of God. All right, so number two, flip over to chapter 19. And uh, this is a story of Simeon. 
now, I, yesterday I told you, Judah gets that great big section in the south. They're going to be the lion in the south, protects the nation from evasion from the south, from the Ethiopians, from Egypt, and so forth. And uh, Simeon was a weak tribe. And uh, God chose in his sovereignty to put Simeon's uh, inheritance and possession right in the middle of Judah's possession. And actually, over time, they kind of lost their distinction, kind of melted into Judah. And by the time um, you know, David is king and so forth, Judah described the whole southern part of the kingdom. So, in verse 9, it says... Um, the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was, and here's your phrase, too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance with the inheritances of that people. Now, when you start reading about how the different tribes reacted with their possessions and whether or not they went on with the Lord and drove out the Amorites, the Canaanites, Persazites, and so forth, Basically, they didn't. They didn't go on with the Lord. But if you read the opening chapter of Judges, it's the bright spot. Judah and Simeon, they, they talk to each other and say, hey, you know, we're going to help you secure your possessions that God's given you and drive out the rest of the inhabitants. And so in that first chapter of Judges, you'll read that Simeon helped Judah. And then likewise, they, they talked, and Judah says, well, we're going to help you seize your possessions also. And so Simeon was a weak tribe, but together they were able to accomplish much more than they could individually. And so this is another thing that uh, we need to be conscious of, is that the Lord has a great work for us to do, and he knows what we need to accomplish it, and that's often bringing in other people with different gifts and different capabilities so that working together we can do things that we could never do individually. Um, another story to illustrate this is a true story. It happened about a century ago during a fair. It was in the days of horse pools. And what they used to do is they would um, tie up, uh, harness horses to skids and then they'd load the skids down with weight, and they would see uh, who was the strongest horse to pull that skid across the line several feet in advance. In this particular year, the first place horse pulled 4,500 pounds on a skid. That's over two tons. That's a lot. The second place horse did 4,000. So... If you add both those up, that's 8,500 pounds. Now, here's what's interesting. When they harnessed both horses up together, they were able to pull 12,000 pounds. They were able to pull 3,500 pounds more together than they could individually. Um, this is an area that the Lord is growing me in. You ever turn down your nose at someone else's gift or calling in the body or not think it's quite as important? Uh, what the Lord is showing me is often um, the, the part that I don't like about something is actually the gift that God has given them and they're speaking out of or acting out of their gift. Um, you know, for example, sometimes evangelists can be a little pushy, right? And I actually was talking to a brother 
uh, earlier, and he, he kind of, or not, not here, but just recently, and he kind of apologized for being a little pushy. And I said, it's true, brother, but I realize that you are speaking and acting out of your gift. Evangelists need to be bold, and, and they, they want people to make a decision. And so if you see the beauty of what God's creating in each believer and their gifts or callings, uh, and just realize we need each other. We desperately need each other. There's a battle going on. So uh, that's just this, oh, it's too much for me. Sometimes we want to give up. The Lord knows he'll bring the right people along uh, in order to work together. And then at the end of chapter 19, a third attitude that can um, be a hindrance, this has to do with the children of Dan. The border of the children of Dan went beyond these. Uh, The King James reads, the border of the children of Dan uh, was uh, little for them. Okay? Because of the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem, and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. Well, Dan got a nice section, more towards the coastline, very fertile area, but there was a problem. The Amorites were in their possession. You know, would they be faithful, trusting the Lord, and drive out the Amorites out of their possession? And they didn't. And what happened is, in time, the Amorites got stronger, and Dan got pushed out of the valley up into the hill country, and over time, their possession became too little for them. Right? Not initially, but because of disobedience, their possession became too little. So what did they do? And you can read this in Judges, in the parathetical portion of Judges. Um, they send some spies up. They find this city, Leshem, way up in the north, way north of Zebulun's territory. It's kind of isolated. Nobody's going to come and help them. And so they take part of the tribe, and they go up, and they basically wipe out everybody, take the city, and they call it the city of Dan, which later became the northern uh, pinnacle of the pagan temple. I mean, that's where paganism was centered at in the north. Now, The idea here is um, God had given them exactly what they needed as a possession, but because of disobedience, they lost it, or they lost a good portion of it. Was it permissible for them to go up and take Leshem? Yes, that was in the title deed that, that God had given Abraham of the area. It wasn't God's best for them, but it was permissible. And there's times in our life... um, I liked what our brother shared in the last message. We all stumble, okay? There's times we're going to stumble. There's consequences of stumbling. But don't think that because you've stumbled, God's done with you, right? He can still bless you. It may not be to the extent um, that it would have been possible if you stayed in his best, but God is a God who wants us to go on and uh, so we see that there, there's faith grown in lesser degrees that God can still bless. He works with us. By the way, this is kind of, uh, I think, a little bit of a, um, an after-story portion that relates to this in that Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, were Danites that chose to stay in their inheritance. They said, we're not leaving. We're staying in our inheritance, 
And their son ended up becoming one of the judges of, of the nation of Israel. And so uh, they were blessed because they said, we're God, this is God's best force, we're staying here. Part of the tribe left, they went north, they established a new uh, home for themselves, uh, and by the strength of the Lord, they took it for a possession. Leshem, it came the city of Dan. The idea here is it's too little for them because of disobedience. My encouragement is uh, failures aren't final unless you make them so with the Lord. We've all stumbled. We need to get up in grace, go on with the Lord. He wants us to, to go on. All right, so that was the second set of threes. Um, four threes, turn with me to chapter 23. We're just touching on things here. As far as I can tell, this was a few years later after the division of the land, and, and Joshua gathers the people probably at Shiloh. The text doesn't tell us, but that was kind of the center where people gathered at that time. And he has three exhortations for them. Joshua wanted the people of God to finish well. Boy, you can see that in Paul's writings, right? He just wanted the people of God to finish well. His heart comes out in it. And so he gives three exhortations. I'm just going to lightly touch on these. Verse 6, he says, Therefore be courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand and to the left. Obey the word of God. Keep the word of God. Don't compromise the word of God. Verse 7, Lest you go among these nations these who remain among you, that you should make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. Keep out of the world. Obey, obey the word of God. Keep out of the world. Don't let the world's idols uh, intrude into your home and rob your affections. And that leads to the third point in verse 11. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Obey the word. Keep out of the world. Love the Lord. And if Joshua was standing before us this morning, I think he'd be preaching the same thing. Obey the word. Keep out of the world. Love the Lord your God. Okay? Now, a few years later, we're going to slow down now, the final set of threes is in chapter 24. This is a uh, gathering at Shechem. And I, a couple mornings ago, one of the brothers prayed about the Valley of Decision. It may have been Dave Sr., I can't remember. But this is the Valley of Decisions. Shechem always is a place of decision. Uh, we can see it in Genesis 12 with Abraham. We can see it in Genesis 35 with David and his family. The time came to get clear out the idols of the, of the family and bury them, uh, have sanctification, start afresh with, with the Lord and be holy people for the Lord. And so this is the idea of the last chapter in Joshua. Joshua is deeply burdened over the idols that he knows, the secret idols that are among God's people. And that's why he starts out by talking about Abraham. Abraham was an idolater when God called him in the land of Ur. And so he starts out with Abraham for a reason. They could identify with Abraham. They esteemed Abraham. And by the way, 
Father Abraham left his idols in Ur. He came clean, and, and he followed the Lord. So that's why he has, starts with Abraham, talking about his history. And then in verse 14, he says this, Now therefore, uh, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's going to come at them three times. That's the fourth set of threes. He knows their secret idols, secret affections among God's people that are robbing their joy of the Lord, robbing the power of the Lord, that are in time will cost them their, their possessions because God will have to discipline them. And he, he's, this is, Joshua's at the end of his life. He's going to die in verse 29. He's 110 years old. This is like the last thing he wants to say to the, to the Israelites He's been with them his whole life. He's led them into victory. Uh, This is 15 to 20 years later. After the time he first took them to Shechem, and half the tribes were on Ebal and half were on Gerizim, and they they pronounced the blessings and the curses. It's interesting, um, when the blessings were pronounced, dead silence. When the curses were pronounced, that's when the amen came off the hill. We can't presume on the grace of God, but we can understand that he's a righteous God and judges sin, and we can agree with him upon that. So the amens came with the curses. And so Joshua's now leading them back to that same place, the Valley of Decision, um, where they, they, they agreed with the blessings and curses. So, The people, how do they respond to this? Verse 16. So the people answered (coughs) and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt for the house of bondage. Who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed? The Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Joshua knows the truth. There's secret idols among the Lord's people. It's going to rob their affections. The consequences in time will be tremendous. And he wants his people to come back to the Lord, come clean with the Lord. So he comes at him again in verse 19. You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he has done you good. The people, they're not, they're not coming clean. Again, with their mouths, they're, they're saying what... Uh, you know, Joshua would hope would be in their hearts. They're trying to confirm, no, we're loyal to the Lord. No, but we will serve the Lord. 
So Joshua said to the people, you are witness against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord your God and serve him. So Joshua comes back a third time. Now therefore, put away your foreign gods who are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant there. He stands up a, a large stone as a, a pillar of it. Um, he says, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. And by the way, Joshua is departing too. In verse 29, uh, he departs. And notice we, we end this week where we started. He's called the servant of the Lord after his death, the way Moses was in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, a servant of the Lord, remembered well for their faithful service to the Lord. Well, we're at the point now we're departing. And uh, I'm encouraged that each one of you are departing to go back to your own inheritance. You're laying hold of your spiritual possessions in heavenly places. Uh, we looked at the attitudes uh, pertaining to that. We're, we're willing to engage in conquest. We understand there's a providential uh, component to that. And we also understand that we need to be available in sharing those things with the Lord, and we need to ask for these things. And so each of us is departing from this place. We've had a wonderful week together. We're going back into our own inheritances that the Lord has from us. Are we going back with all the idols buried under the tree? Yeah. Is there still unconfessed sin? Is there still secret idols among us robbing our affection? This is where Joshua ends. And so it's a great time just to reflect, is there anything in my life that is robbing my affection from the Lord? Is there anything causing me not to come into my full inheritance, uh, the spiritual possessions that, that the Lord wants for me now? And I think um, Joshua's response in verse 15 is one that I, I hope that we can all say amen to this morning. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. This is a valley of decision. This is a day of decision. This is a day of departing. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. This is, this is the departing words of Joshua, his heart for the people. If there's still secret things, idols, things are robbing your affection, that's bury him here in Yosemite. And, and leave a, a departing holy people going back into our spiritual possessions, laying hold of everything that Christ has for us, that we can be a people of God uh, that reflect him to a world that desperately needs to see him. Father, we thank you for a great week. Um, we thank you for this place um, that we can gather and study your word. I thank you for each one here that's in the body of Christ. I thank you for their, their spiritual gifts, their calling. Um, Lord, their, the trophies of grace 
that are here. Uh, each one, we are what we are by the grace of God. And I pray, Father, that as we do stumble, we would get up in grace and keep going on, knowing you are a God that wants us to triumph. Father, keep us from wallowing in self-pity. Keep us from looking at um, the victories of past generations and not wanting our own. Keep us from being like the, the little elephant that's defeated in his mind. Help us to see the big picture of laboring together in the goodness that you've given each one of us to accomplish more than what we could ever do individually. It teaches us to love each other. It teaches us uh, to just adhere to your lordship, uh, your, your command, your order, all that you have for us. Father, you're, you're so good to us. We love your son. Um, we tell you that we just close the conference by telling you that we love him. And uh, each one of us want to serve him to the fullest capacity. And this will be our prayer as we depart in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.